<laughs> Guys, I can't fucking wait to see that movie. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week, we are bringing you a very special feature. Oh, yes. yes. We're going to play a fun little game of Mary Fuck Kill. I cannot wait to watch this movie again. It's just so fucking weird. We're about to hit the dance floor at Jackrabbit Slims because we've got that Saturday night fever, baby. I loved this movie too. <laughs> it was so ridiculous. I just pray that Green Book doesn't win best. Oh picture. god, I know. Welcome to Talk Movie to Me, a weekly podcast where we either feature a new release and delve into our weekend entertainment, focus in on our performer's career, or buy an extra large popcorn and do a double feature. I'm Helen. I'm Miss Sinclair. And I'm Edison. And this week we are talking about a much-hyped new release, one that has become a bit controversial since its release, and not because of the gay orgy scene. (laughs) Bros is directed by Nicholas Stoller, who co-wrote the script with Billy Eichner, the star of this film. Billy's character is named Bobby, and Bobby is a very successful gay. He's got a podcast with a million subscribers. One can dream. (laughs) (laughs) He lives in New York in a beautiful apartment. He's deeply involved in the LGBTQ plus community and is working to open the world's first LGBTQ plus museum. On his podcast, he answers questions that listeners send in and one is asking him for advice on romance which he feels he's not qualified to give, seeing as how he's 40 years old and has never been in a real relationship. One night at a club, he meets Aaron, played by Luke McFarlane. Aaron is a gym bro, all biceps and abs and ball hat. Despite clearly having some type of interest in one another, they're both too caught up believing the story they've told themselves, that they're happier alone and not looking for a relationship, that they end up having a pretty awkward first conversation that doesn't seem super promising initially. But this is a romantic comedy, and it's been highly marketed as the first gay romantic comedy being released by a major film studio. So, you know, that awkward meet-cute isn't the end of their story, but rather just the beginning. Bros asks a question. If it's all just an act and confidence is a decision you make, day-to-day, slowly but surely laying it like bricks to build a wall surrounding and protecting your heart, what happens when you make the decision to let your guard down and let vulnerability shine through? Mm-hmm. First impression, Helen. Yeah, I saw this this afternoon. Um, oh. Yeah, and right off the bat, this movie wastes no time. It is very dialogue dense, especially in the beginning, and full of laughs. It was keeping me on my toes from the get-go. I was like, all of the jokes that I did get, I loved, and I knew there were some that were flying past me. <laughs> and so I just got a sense that, like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna want to watch this again because I know I'm missing stuff right away because there's just it's it starts off with a bang for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Sinclair. Yeah, I first impression for me, I honestly think Billy Eichner is one of the funniest people on the planet. <laughs> so as soon as I see him on screen I just want to laugh instantly Mm -hmm. and I find that his energy was making Mm -hmm. me feel energetic when I was watching this and I was hanging on every word and he's really good at capturing and holding your attention Mm -hmm. and because I'm a fan of his you know right away I just wanted to just start laughing and and I (laughs) did like he he just captured me right away angry loves angry 
<laughs> angry loves angry. Like I, I get this guy's oh God, cynicism. Yeah. <laughs> His energy. <laughs> so true. My first impression was, you know, it opens with him and he's in his podcast. He's recording it or whatever. And you're right, Helen. It's coming out of the gates mm-hmm. at 100 miles an hour. It's like. Yeah. He is flying, and I'm living for it. I also find him really funny. But then yeah. he says, I'm "So just so excited to hit this milestone of one million subscribers," and I was like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> "Like I couldn't." I was like, "What?" You immediately start judging yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, "Wait a minute! If they were all Patreon subscribers, we'd be making four million dollars a month." Oh, <laughs> Lord. <laughs> Yeah, I was so that honestly, I think I blacked out for like about three minutes at that point. <laughs> I heard that and I was like, "Wow, imagine!" <laughs> yeah, that was my first impression. I was like, "Okay, we're if we're right." So I'm here in Nova Scotia, yeah. and it's playing in every theater. It's playing in like the tiny little theater in this small ass town. And I, I went on yeah. Saturday afternoon. I was like, I cannot go alone to mm. this gay romantic comedy and knowing yeah. that I'll be the only person in that theater here in this little town I just couldn't do it but fortunately my friend Vio mm-hmm. my ex Vio hilariously <laughs> um, was like passing through a different town on his way back from Halifax so we met like 40 minutes away and went to this little random theater Aww. and saw it there I like that it was actually wonderful yeah lovely so before we get into storytelling for this movie, let's get the controversy stuff out of the way so we don't end up talking about that throughout the whole storytelling segment. Yeah. Um, so there's been a few different bouts of controversy here. One was that when this first came out, Billy Eichner was talking about how excited and proud he was that he was, you know, coming out with this first major film studio gay movie. And in an interview with Variety, he says, and this is not an indie movie. This is not some streaming thing which feels disposable or which is like one of a million Netflix shows. I needed to appreciate that. This is a historic moment and somehow you're at the the center of it. You helped create it. And he got some backlash for that comment because there is a lot of great gay content on streaming services. Totally. Particularly Fire Island, which came out on Hulu. It's another gay rom or gay comedy, romantic comedy. And so I think particularly people were upset about that, that he was disregarding that film. So he did come out and, and sort of backtrack that statement and acknowledge that there's a lot of great content but i know what he's saying in this quote well i also think he's right i think the majority <laughs> yeah. of streaming content is disposable right and it's right. really unfortunate yeah. yeah and i if i was making a movie wouldn't you love for it to be in a theater right yeah <laughs> yes. of course sure. there's some sort of disappointment there i think that a lot of streaming content has become background content mm-hmm. while you're doing your laundry and while you're on your phone so well, I think that there is a disappointment there for sure. Yeah, and I and I do absolutely understand that. And in unfortunately, it adds a pressure to this film. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if something comes out on Netflix, it doesn't have to make money, right? right? It there's it is not beholden to it has to have viewers, but all and kinds Netflix of Netflix is also cagey with that information. Like they yeah. don't totally but we already know that streaming services target niche audiences anyway but a film that's being released with you know a 30 million dollar budget and a big promotional budget marketing budget Mm. being released to cinemas has to make money 
Yeah. Universal Studios isn't putting this film out just for the sake of it. They're a business. They need this to be making tens of millions of dollars back. So it really is a big deal. And I understand, too, what he was trying to say there. Yeah. Um, yeah, But I also understand the feedback because it was pretty dismissive of that other content. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, the film did come out. And as, you know, you may have seen, anybody who's been looking on the internet it really dramatically underperformed at the box office like right. a pretty bomb like it's a bomb it bombed yeah and he right off the bat released this quote on twitter obviously in his feelings said last night i snuck in and sat in the back of a sold out theater playing bros in la the audience howled with laughter start to finish burst into applause at the end some were wiping away tears as they walked out it was truly magical really i am very proud of this movie and then he went on to say, even with glowing reviews, great Rotten Tomato scores, an A mm-hmm. cinema score, etc., straight people, especially in certain parts of the country, just didn't show up for bros. Mm. And that's disappointing, but it is what it is. Then he said, everyone who isn't a homophobic weirdo should go see bros tonight. You will have a blast. And it is special, uniquely powerful to see this on the big screen, especially for queer folks who don't get this opportunity often. Go bros. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. So mm-hmm. that landed him in some hot water Mm -hmm. well i just i i do think it's fair to be i just think it's fair to be disappointed with that because it does having your movie released in a theater having a big release like that it does give the movie a certain level of credibility and that's not to say that all the content on streaming service is bad, but it does get lost in the shuffle. Mm-hmm. It truly does. And when you have a big movie being released in a theater, it gives it a sort of attention mm-hmm. that it needs. And I think this has, I think that this is saying a lot about the state of movies, just in general. You know, we're not seeing comedies in theaters anymore. We're not seeing romance, you know, we're not seeing rom-coms anymore in the theater. Mm -hmm. And I just think it's kind of disappointing all around, (laughs) you know. Well, yeah, you said earlier today, Miss Sinclair, that people just don't go see rom-coms in the theaters. Like, it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily because of the type of movie that this is or because straight people didn't go to see a gay movie. But also the fact that, like, People go to see fucking Avengers and that's it, really. Yeah. (laughs) But I do have to say, like, there is, like, some, you just have to also kind of be honest here, too, Mm -hmm. right? Like, really, this film, it it was probably a hard sell for a bunch of, to make a bunch of money at the box office anyway. Mm -hmm. Like you're saying, people aren't going to see romantic comedies. I can't tell you the last time I went to go see a romantic comedy myself. At yeah, a movie either. theater, unless we were, it was something we were covering for a podcast. And if I am going to see it, people go to see that particular type of film for pretty specific reasons. Mm-hmm. Really, you want to imagine yourself in the situation, mm-hmm. or you go because you are in love with the movie stars, or you really, you know, I'd go mm-hmm. watch Julia Roberts and George Clooney's new one because <laughs> yeah. I love them both, right? Right. Mm-hmm. But this film, and especially when you watch it, it is made for us like mm-hmm. it's made for gay men that's mm-hmm. what this film is for mm-hmm. and it's really it's it's definitely universal in its themes it's open to everybody else but i get it i understand i don't think that his criticism is fair i don't think that you're in any way homophobic if you don't want to go and see this right. movie right well, i don't i think that it's still 
exist because I've talked to a couple people about what their experience has been like watching this movie in the theater and it's been very different for a lot of people so I went with a friend to see this Tuesday matinee it was us and a bunch of elderly (laughs) and the elderly were like there for it they were Mm -hmm. laughing when there's a conflict and when there's a conflict in the film and you think that these two aren't going to be together, one older woman like whimpered in sadness. Like she was so invested in their relationship. Now I've also heard of a friend going where there was a lot of homophobia in the audience. No. One man actually was acting very disgusted and got up and left. Well, what movie did he think he was going into? Yeah. Well, exactly. But it does demonstrate the kind of attitudes that are out there watching this movie. Oh, God, yeah. Oh, my God. I, I made the mistake of watching some, like, videos on YouTube about the this box office performance. Yeah. And it was incredibly discouraging. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, of course, there's, like, a ton of homophobia out there, for yeah. sure. But those people were never going to be part of the, like, strategy for this film. Right. Mm-hmm. Right? On What surprised me in its box office is that the gays didn't really turn up for it. Mm-hmm. Like, the director, Nicholas Stoller, gave a quote and said that the majority of the, the vast majority of the audience was gay men, which mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's a whole lot more of us than four and a half million at the <laughs> box office. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. we didn't turn out either. And I don't know why, because I was so mm-hmm. excited to see this film. I was surprised... Mm-hmm that it underperformed this dramatically. Yeah. And I think the irony of it is that it will find an audience once it's on streaming. Right. Totally. <laughs> but know? it is also, it's not, this will be the last one for a long time. And that sucks. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. a lot of pressure. I understand why Billy Eichner reacted in the right. way that he did. Yeah. Because he has been carrying a lot of this responsibility mm-hmm. on his shoulder. There will have been through from the very beginning, before it was greenlit, through this entire production, yeah. everything, conversations with him about if this bombs, it's mm-hmm. not gonna happen again. Mm-hmm. And that's the truth. Who's gonna spend put up millions for the next one? Mm-hmm. And it's disappointing too because this actually had a good start. This mm-hmm. was at TIFF. It premiered at TIFF. It had it was a big hit. It was really well received. Um, mm-hmm. Billy Eichner thanked TIFF for letting a comedy into mm-hmm. the film festival and taking a chance with that. And people were like on their feet, clapping, cheering, and he yelled out, Keep it going longer than the whale. so there was a lot of like fun energy and commentary on film festivals and the fact that this was in one and it really it it really set this up to have a good theater run yeah and people knew about this film it Mm -hmm. wasn't under the radar it was opened across over 3,000 screens there's those posters are everywhere like I I think it this is the thing too with most comedies they're better in a theatrical you know they're better when you're there with an audience with an audience I th- yeah I think in, unless you're like that that actual homophobic dude that got up and left yeah. in this movie who clearly went into the wrong theater <laughs> um pretty much everybody else is going to find something fun and enjoy the experience of watching this because it's a fucking fun movie and we'll get mm-hmm. into that now mm-hmm. finally but 
The last thing I'll say is that there's also no movie stars in this movie. And when you think about like you are you just mentioned Edison, uh, Julie Roberts and George Clooney in Ticket to Paradise. It's like, yeah, I would see that for them. I'm not seeing it for the story. I don't give a fuck. But you see it for the movie stars. There's no movie stars in this movie. And yeah. that's part of it, too. And, and, the par- and, and part why, of the commentary. But why yeah, is because there are the no gay movie commentary. stars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like that's part of what's disappointing about it, too. Like actually name one gay movie star, like movie star. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so that's that's it too, right? Yeah. Um, but anyways, all of that aside, let's talk about the <laughs> film itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I loved this movie. <laughs> Me like, too. Like so much. I thought it was so fucking funny. Yeah. Like <laughs> I was laughing so hard, especially the first, I would say, I don't know, 45 minutes of this yes. movie. The comedy is really good. Mm-hmm. It's so sharp. It's so tight. There's so much of it that I was, that felt like an inside joke that was like (laughs) specific to me. But that also, I knew that other people would also find funny, right? And like, there was so much physical comedy too. He's a really great physical actor. Like, we'll Mm -hmm. get into that in performances. But like, there was a lot of physical comedy in this that really worked for me. Yeah. I thought it was so fun. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and like I said in my first impression, because it's so quick and dense, it I it had my attention from the first second because I didn't want to miss anything. I didn't want to miss any jokes. I didn't want to miss any references. Why don't we get into how what is a rom-com, Sinclair? And then we can kind of <laughs> get more into the structure of the film. Well, yeah, I mean, this follows the classic romantic comedy structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is very inspired by When Harry Met Sally, Notting Hill, even like recently Trainwreck, where, you know, mm-hmm. you're having a comedian in, in the main role. Mm-hmm. But this movie is trying to use the old romantic comedy structure and having two gay men as the leads mm-hmm. and two openly gay actors as the leads. And this is interesting because you know for so long it's been you know straight white men and Mm -hmm. women and I mean generally rom-coms to me have a lot of just problematic things in them Mm. and I think that it's interesting that they decided to use this old rom-com structure it's actually (laughs) makes it really funny and a really funny commentary but Basically, romantic comedies tend to follow the similar structure. There's always an unfulfilled um, desire that mm-hmm. the lead character is experiencing. You know, in this case, it's it's Bobby. He has a lot of things in his life, a lot of success, but there is an element of something that's missing. Difficulties in love is, is mm-hmm. a big one here. Then there's a meet cute. So this is when the two characters, they meet. Um it doesn't always go smooth right away. There's always mm-hmm. some banter that happens. This yeah. happens with Bobby and Aaron. You know, there's kind of a love-hate attraction going on, which is always entertaining. I and hear you're boring. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have Aaron who is, like, worried about being boring. Bobby who's emotionally closed off. And that works really well. Then there's the happy together stage. Mm -hmm. And this is the honeymoon stage. Things are going really well, almost too well. 
And There's a musical montage of them doing yeah. activities around the city. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's a very aware of itself, too, mm-hmm. that it's yes. using. It's even making references to romantic comedies. And it's funny because during this Happy Together stage, my friend who I went with turned to me and said, okay, when's the conflict coming? Yeah. Because you can tell, you know the structure of, of these course. films. And, you know, right away, there comes the obstacle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the obstacle usually comes in the form of an old boyfriend. Um, yeah. Big dumb Jim bro. Big dumb Jim bro <laughs> comes in. Um, somebody from Aaron's past who he had a crush on. And also there's a conflict of Aaron's parents mm-hmm. as well. And Bobby not feeling like he can be himself. So there's a conflict there. And then there's the journey to self-discovery. Mm-hmm. And that is when the characters take a good hard look at themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that leads to the choice or the epiphany. And that is when they realize they love each other. And there's usually an apology first time around it might not work one of them mm-hmm. might decide no and walk away and then that leads to a big gesture yes and in this case you know it's a big <laughs> song a even aaron song. <laughs> has a gesture of sending these chocolates he's oh, discovered yeah. he wants to be a chocolatier and so it really does follow this structure right to the end of the movie while also commenting and critiquing it as as well which is yeah. not easy to do Well, I actually think that something that this film did really well in its storytelling that I think could have been really sloppy is that it is commenting on its it's very meta. Yes. He is talking about being a cis white male in leading this thing, his story being centered. And while being kind of surrounded by a bunch of other people in the LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. rainbow mm-hmm. and their stories not being centered and part as part of it, but him acknowledging throughout it by like giving little bits of like gay history, talking about Marsha B. Johnson and all of this stuff. And I think that that could have been clumsy and mm-hmm. felt and feel really forced. It worked for me. Mm-hmm. A lot Same. of that was information that I knew already. I don't need that. But for somebody who doesn't know that actually is kind of important. This is the big, the first big ro- gay romantic comedy at a studio release. There's going to be, well, at least they assumed that there would be a lot of people in the audience that didn't know mm. all of this mm. and maybe do need to learn a bit and have that be part of it. What did you think about that? Well, yeah, from the, I think his first line in this film is that the podcast is called like the 11th brick because there was no way a cis white gay man threw the first break, right? right. Like yes. the whole time he's commenting on the, he, it is self-referential and he, and there is critique of the community as well, which I really enjoyed because it makes it real. You it's because it's true. Because, uh, yes. But like so often I think now when there are queer storylines coming into films, they're, tied up in a bow and they're perfect right because no one like people don't want to criticize Mm -hmm. that community often because the people making them are still straight and don't know about the community right or don't have that insight so I loved that this had commentary on that as well 
Yeah. Like there's flaws throughout the movie. There are flaws to these characters because of course there are because they're real people. Mm-hmm. Real but it managed people. to do all of that while still being broad, a broad traditional Hollywood style romantic yeah. comedy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what's actually kind of cool about it. I thought mm-hmm. that was a, I was impressed by that. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's just because he was able to fit in 8 trillion words of t- <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> well, I also feel like it it wasn't too finger waggy. No. Like there yeah. was a nice balance between getting a point across yeah. without alienating your audience too much by scolding them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I I like movies that have an aspect of critique of the, the genre that they're mm-hmm. in and critique of movie going audiences. I don't mind that at all, but I don't want to be scolded. And this was mm-hmm. my problem with Don't Look Up about mm-hmm. climate right. change yeah. with Adam McKay's yeah. movie. It was like, we, we don't need to be scolded. We can be informed, mm. but not scolded. And this mm-hmm. managed to, to do that quite well. Well, there's also the love is love debate, too. Mm. This film touches on the idea mm-hmm. that, you know, you don't need to present the idea that love is love because every, because they're different. You know, yeah. Bobby and yeah. Aaron's relationship is, is different from a straight couple's relationship. And that's okay. And the problems that gay couples face, there's a lot of differences from straight yeah. couples. And that's all right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And anyone who has, like, y'all know, you know, you don't have grinder. It's not mm. part of, there's equivalences, but it's not the same thing. So yeah. even just the, genesis and catalyst of the interact our interactions with other potential you know romantic partners or just partners casual partners or whatever are different it's just mm-hmm. different i thought that was a really honest point but that is something that i get could be shocking to people mm. who don't who don't right. have gay friends and don't you know what i mean yeah it might yeah. be a bit like oh my god wait what you're suddenly in a like f- there's four of you on your first yeah. like that whole moment yeah well, and we should talk about the sex scenes, too, because there's a number of sex scenes in this movie, and they are very, like, authentic sex scenes. This isn't, mm. like, actually what sex scenes you usually get in a rom-com, which are, like, pretty vanilla and yeah. like, not what sex is really it, like. This movie went for it with the sex yeah. scenes. Went for it, but managed to infuse humor. So like, much humor. Mm-hmm. When they first actually do the deed and it's like the thumping of the chest and that that whole moment was so funny. But also, I don't know. I was like, this is oddly how they're connected. Like, I got it. It was so real and weird. These people with so many walls up, like, how do we let them down and trying to reenact masculinity in this weird way? And it was just fascinating and funny. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they're... I was reading, I think it was Luke McFarlane was talking about how there was a LGBTQ intimacy coordinator on set for those scenes to Mm. make sure that everyone felt comfortable with with what was going on. And there were, I think, some things that were pitched that got vetoed and and it helps Mm -hmm. to build like, I think it's important to see authentic sex scenes in movies Mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it changes your expectations as a viewer of what sex is, especially yeah. if you're a young gay person watching this movie or, you know. I like can't a- even imagine. This is like uh, what the whole time when I was watching this, g- going through my head was like, what if I had seen this at 
17, 18 yeah. years old. Mm-hmm. Like what an absolute, complete and utter revelation, shocking mm-hmm. thing, like in the most validating, impossible to describe way it might have mm-hmm. been. Well, it, it was like better than all the lies mind. Helen and I got from rom coms. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> a whole lot of lies. <laughs> so at least this one's authentic. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of authenticity, I thought that there was a lot of authenticity to the character of Bobby and what it would be like for him to go through trying to be a writer and trying to be a creative mm-hmm. person. In, I love that monologue. Yeah, the yeah. monologue was that was yeah. for me the best moment of the film yeah. because it just felt so true. Yeah. And you really do feel for him for not being able to sell himself as himself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just felt like maybe Billy Eichner pulled a lot from his own experience. Oh, and yeah. maybe what feels people like actually it. told him. Yeah. For sure. It, I, I, I haven't read him talk about that explicitly, but it really felt personal. Mm-hmm. It felt like his, he was sharing his story here. And that's why it does break my heart even more that the film underperformed because the, the powerful moment in that monologue is him saying, and they were wrong. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and, they were, and that's meta because they were wrong. He got to actually make this film. Yeah. But then it, performed so poorly that it's it just like kind of well proved everything the film was saying yeah mm. i hate it I, I hate it i do love the faked confidence line too where he's just like yeah. you know it's just a state of mind and confidence mm-hmm. is just realizing you only have yourself to rely on mm. yeah and i was like i feel that yeah <laughs> oh yeah totally yeah. one thing i really liked about how this movie veers from the typical rom-com is that at the end it's let's reassess in three months and not we're getting married just a realistic expectation yeah yeah Yeah, totally because that's something else that's kind of infuriating about rom-coms is it gets tied up in a bow and these people are together forever and everything is great it's like that's not how most relationships go yeah most relationships end even if they have this nice arc of a rom-com like eventually they end like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know oh highly um. practical okay so jumping into performances i mean it, it's talking about how personal this is to billy eichner i i don't feel like him playing bobby is a stretch yeah i don't need either no like it feels very much like him and like his character that we've seen in other you know billy on the street etc um but He's so good in this. And i it's the first time that he's carried a film. And he he may not have the sort of leading man charisma necessarily or, or like looks in that way. But he has the energy and he has the confidence and he has the talent. Mm-hmm. And I thought that he ha- also has the authenticity and emotionality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is the time of reintroducing what a leading man is. Like we yes. see this with Timothy Chalamet too. You yes. know, he has mm-hmm. certain qualities that aren't typical of a leading man in Hollywood films. And I think Billy Eichner is the same. He's honestly one of the funniest people I've ever watched. And he has a presence and an energy that you would think would maybe be too much, but it still somehow manages to work. And Mm -hmm. he also hits all the right emotional beats in this. 
And he carries this film. He truly mm-hmm. carries this film. He is so watchable. Yes. And yeah. you look at him and you're like, you are a lead. You're a lead character. You're not yeah. meant to be just the gay best friend. You are right. not. You have totally. too much to offer in mm-hmm. terms of your personality and your talent. So it's great to have him be able to, you know, write act he also sings in this it's a role that kind of showcases everything he can do yeah well and his voice is so present throughout in terms of his brand of humor that it that is I think the through line at least for me in this performance was I just couldn't wait to hear his next joke. Like he's so funny and he has such an interesting perspective mm-hmm. that I I could just sit and watch him talk about things. Yeah. <laughs> like, he yes. just he has something to say. He has mm-hmm. important yeah. things to say. Yes. And he's also yeah. doing it in such a hilarious way. Yeah. I thought he was great. I also really liked Luke McFarlane. I did too. When I first saw the trailer for this, I was like, ooh, who's that? And I looked mm. him up on Instagram and started following him. And he's like, <laughs> it's, he's very different from this character. Oh, yeah. He, yeah. Uh, he's like a classical musician. He's mm. like out, outdoorsy, but not in a like, hey, bro way. He's like, not bro He's thoughtful, actually not At bro-y. all bro Not at all. Yeah. Um, and and he, he's done a ton of Hallmark movies. <laughs> And that's, that's hilarious. hilarious. I know. Like the majority <laughs> of his filmography is Hallmark movies, which yeah. this movie makes fun of. And it yeah. makes totally. it so much funnier yeah. that he's done so many. But I remember him. He played Scotty on Brothers and Sisters, mm-hmm. which I've watched all seasons of. And oh, he yeah. I never watched that super show. I did not sweet. He's so sweet. And then I saw him in this and I was like, I know you're not really a bro, Luke McFarlane. Yeah. But you yeah. work in this because you bring so much depth warmth. and warmth to this yes. character yeah and it's evident in that that very first shot in the club they see him mm. down below and he looks up and then it cuts to billy and then it cuts back to him and he's got this look on his face that is sweet and vulnerable yeah. mm. and it's a really brilliant shot because it captures we see this person the real person and in that whole environment and i it's a great little moment yeah. I thought he was so good there. Mm-hmm. He's Canadian too. Mm-hmm. Yes, I know. Yeah, Go London. Canada. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. My future husband. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of great supporting cast yeah. in this too. Basically, everybody on the on the council or the board for this LGBTQ plus museum is hilarious. Yeah. Right. T. S. Madison kills me. She's a regular on Drag Race. Like mm. I live for her. And Dot Marie Jones from Glee. lesbian like it's so funny yeah i thought the supporting cast was really good in this and everybody in this has amazing comedic chops yeah and every character was unique and had moments to shine and i think that when it comes to marginalized communities there's this perception that nobody has a sense of humor and like Mm -hmm. everyone's going to be offended Mm -hmm. and I think that everyone was allowed to shine in this. Mm -hmm. It didn't feel like anyone wasn't a real character or an odd stereotype. Everyone felt like a star to me watching this. Like they, every character felt like they could have their own movie or their own show. Mm -hmm. And I also liked not seeing these characters in a tragic way. Yeah. 
Well, they even talk about that when they're discussing the museum mm-hmm. and yes. the tragedies that have occurred within the community. And I believe it's Aaron who says that it's, you know, it's depressing. It's sad. Like, where's the joy? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the movie has this movie has so much joy. The gay yeah. trauma roller coaster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. was so, so funny, though. Yeah. yeah. But it's so true. Like, I like that, too. There's a great quote in this film where it says, we are not one thing. We're not a monolithic group. Mm. And we people often forget that. And mm. I know that as we add more and more letters to the acronym, it becomes more and more, like, kind of convoluted. And, like, what is this? And it does. Everybody gets kind of lumped together. Mm-hmm. But it is really, like a mixed bag of people. Yeah. And, but yet we are still all part of the same community in some way. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know. I appreciated that. Yeah. All right. What's the last word on bros? Helen. Last word for me, I'm just going to reference one of my favorite parts of this movie. So when they're at the club, that's for an app launch and he asks what the app is and his friend says, well, we have Tinder, we have Grindr, now we have Zellweger where it's just people who want to talk about actresses and go to sleep. Yeah. And I would love to be on that app. Yeah. <laughs> that killed me. I loved that yeah, so it's much. Perfect. Uh, yes. Sinclair? I thought this movie was an absolute delight. Yeah. I haven't mm-hmm. laughed in the mm. theater in a really long time. I, I haven't even, I, I can't remember the last comedy I saw in the mm. theater. It feels like so long ago. And it was just so enjoyable. And I just loved being in the theater and laughing. And I just felt yeah. good after I left. I just had a good time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, the last word is this film is fun. As much as I love the historic nature of it being released on this, I actually just wish that it had have just gone right to streaming where Mm. it could have been an unabashed success right Right. out of the gates and a lot of people watch it because I think that people will be exposed to this film and it's funny. Mm -hmm. And if it had just been on Netflix or Prime or whatever, they would have more people might have seen it. No, Edison, no. Keep on fighting the good fight. Go see movies (laughs) in the theater. There's still time to see bros in the theater. Bros fighting the good fight. Okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. Go see it in the theater. (laughs) Yes. Jesus. Honestly, that's it. That's the final word. Mm. Just go watch this movie. Yeah. This episode, we challenged ourselves to watch films that fit a particular theme. And the theme this week is films that made history. This is our week in entertainment. Now, we have chosen this theme because as the first segment, Bros was a film that made history. As we mentioned, it was the first gay romantic comedy to be released by a major studio. So these are three films that have also made history. And I don't know what y'all picked. So let's get Mm -hmm. right to it. Helen, why don't you tell us what you picked on there? So I decided to watch a documentary from 1988 called The Thin Blue Line. Oh. oh. Have either of you seen this? No. I don't think so. Oh, Sinclair? Oh, my God. I watched a two-time documentary you haven't seen. Mm. This is I a great moment for me. This. this has been called the first movie mystery to actually solve a murder. So before there was Serial, before there was The Jinx, before there was The Staircase, there was The Thin Blue Line. So this was directed by Errol Morris, and it looks into the murder of Dallas police officer Robert Wood and then the conviction of Randall Adams. And yeah, it's basically like kind of the birth of 
the true crime documentary phenomenon cool. that we are living in still today, very much so today. And it started with Errol Morris looking into this doctor who was called Dr. Death because he was testifying at so many trials in Texas and claiming that defendants, if they weren't given the death penalty, they would reoffend. Mm. So like he was alarmingly saying like, oh yes, if this person is not put to death, they're going to commit this crime again if they ever get out of prison. Mm -hmm. And so Errol Moore started by investigating this Dr. Death guy. And this case is one of the cases where he claimed this. He claimed that this Randall Adams man, if he was not given the death penalty, was going to kill somebody again without beyond a shadow of a doubt. So this interviews Randall Adams, who was convicted of this murder. It interviews his lawyers and it interviews the man who said that Randall Adams did it, who it turns out that was the actual guy that killed this police officer, mm. which is sort of revealed throughout and then is pretty clearly revealed at the very end of the film. So because of this documentary, Randall Adams was actually released from prison and this other suspect, it is assumed it was him that committed this murder. The documentary itself is very, very dry. Mm. <laughs> it's really kind of hard to watch. I had actually tried watching this a couple years ago when I was like super into true crime documentaries. Mm. And it was, you know, it's done in the 80s. There is a certain level of like glitz and flair that is put on things today that makes us like holds our attention and this does not have that even down to the fact that we don't really know who anyone is in the documentary there's no like labels saying who each person is you kind of just have to remember who these people are which makes it a little bit difficult to comprehend what's going on but another thing that Errol Morris did in this is he reenacted scenes Mm -hmm. um and reenactments have become a huge thing with true crime. Mm-hmm. And had that not really been the case Not prior? really. No. Oh, cool. He reenacted so, them on his, himself or he got people to reenact No, he got them. actors <laughs> to like re- reenact the... <laughs> he went, imagine. He went, like you just, said he did it. No, sorry. Like, okay, he did it himself. As the real, director. A real method yeah. documentarian. <laughs> he facilitated it. Um, but because of that, the Academy wouldn't accept it as a documentary because there was like scripted portions in it. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It has been said to be one of like the greatest documentaries of all time, but it wasn't accepted in to be nominated at the Academy Awards because of the reenactment uh, scenes within the movie. So, I mean, when you watch it in 2022, it doesn't feel that revelatory because there's so much content like this now that's like mm-hmm. way flashier and mm-hmm. more violent and grotesque but for the time like this was nothing like this had ever happened before yeah which is pretty cool to sort of see the origins of a very 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 popular genre yeah yeah so that's the thin blue line <laughs> but why is it called the thin blue line like what's yeah, the why thin is it? Line? Um, it's in reference to something that one of the prosecutors said in his final statements about the thin blue line of police men that separate like society from anarchy Mm. Mm -hmm. but it's criticizing that take because of how poorly this trial went Mm -hmm. and the investigation into this murder i mean they got the wrong guy (laughs) right um so it's it's very thin it's being being critical and flimsy line yeah that thin flimsy blue line yeah yeah. Okay, Eddie, you go next. All right. The film that I chose this week is a film that made history. It's uh, quite an old film mm-hmm. um, from 1922. Oh, and God. it is 
Nosferatu. Yes, which I had never, ever seen. And it's available just to watch on YouTube if anyone is curious about watching this. And it's only an hour and 27 minutes long, Helen. I'm going to see this on the 21st. Are you? Uh Yeah, I'm going to see this and they're actually doing the score live (sighs) along with it. Oh, cool. Well, that's amazing. I mean, the film is, it's a silent film. Yeah. So it's it's all score and like title, you know, kind of story cards that pop up on the screen. Have you seen it before, Sinclair or Helen? But I I haven't. Not with like, yeah, not in a theater with alive yeah Yeah. that's really cool that's really cool i had never seen this before and i just wanted to watch something i don't know different and i thought okay i know that this is a a classic and i know that it's it made history as one of the first kind of major horror films Mm. but i had never ever seen it and when you watch these old films what scares us or frightens us now is is very different you know, way more, mm-hmm. <laughs> way more sinister often than back then or different. But this film is all atmosphere. And OK, well, the story basically it is it is a Dracula story. I mean, mm-hmm. it just is. It's based off of Bram Stoker's Dracula. They tried to say that it wasn't mm-hmm. when they were making it. And to the point that Bram Stoker's heirs uh, actually sued over this adaptation of the film oh, wow. and had a court ruling they won their case and actually a court ruled that all copies of this film should be destroyed whoa yeah so we all we very nearly never ever will have ever seen it but some of the prints remained and survived and then eventually it became to you know it became to be regarded as a masterpiece in horror and the story is that story that we all know so in this one it's 1838 we're in this fictional town of Wisburg um Thomas Hooter or Hutter I don't know because there's no words (laughs) (laughs) in this, is a real estate agent and he's sent by his boss who has the most comically absurd and malevolent eyebrows that you've ever seen. He's sent to visit this new client named Count Orlock who wants to buy this house in their village. And Orlock is in Transylvania. And Orlock is obviously a vampire. Yeah. Um... (laughs) So he gets there and visits his castle and it's all black and white. And it's this film is all atmosphere because there's no dialogue, because there's no the acting is much. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a silent film, right? It's all about the score and it's all about the the lighting and the shadows and the cinematography. Mm-hmm. And it's beautiful and it is scary it's not scary like we are used to now but i am imagining at the time this would have been horrifying and it still is creepy count orlock himself is really creepy Hmm. so nosferatu the word i was like okay well this guy is called count orlock so what Hmm. is nosferatu Mm -hmm. and but at the beginning they do give you this title card and it says from the seed of belial which is like the devil saint sprang the vampire nosferatu who liveth and feedeth on human blood this unholy creature liveth in sinister caves tombs and coffins which are filled with cursed dirt from the fields of the black death and so basically hotter arrives there to like you know help this guy 
buy this house. He's a real estate agent, but this guy is an evil vampire. And so he, Hutter cuts his finger at, at mm. dinner and Count Orlock creeps over and like, <laughs> and <laughs> Hutter is terrified. And eventually Count Orlock leaves with all of his coffins and Hutter is trying to wait, make his way back home to like beat him there because the house is right across the street that Count Orlock is buying is right across the street from his house where his wife is currently staying. And as Count Orlock is going home, he's on a ship and everybody on the ship dies of this mysterious illness. And obviously it's him. And then he takes control of the ship and arrives in the town. And then people start dying in this town of, of a plague. And But it's the vampire. And there's this one thing where, you know, in a book that Hutter brings back from Transylvania, it says, you know, the vampire can only be stopped by the blood of an innocent maiden basically an innocent mm. woman and a pure-hearted woman and so basically ellen hutter's wife realizes that she has to in order to save their town and to end this whole thing she basically has to sacrifice herself by offering up her blood Ooh. to this vampire but to do it right before daylight so that he's too distracted drinking ah. her blood to notice that the sun has come up and it works and the sun comes up and count or lock dies in a puff of smoke it's actually the most undramatic death i've ever <laughs> possibly imagined and he literally just disappears from the screen and i was like wait what where's all the drama i want him to burst into flames and hutter grabs his wife just as she's dying and she dies and it's actually really tragic and scary but the film is actually good it's it's good it's quiet and slow but creepy and i'm so glad to have seen it mm. and it's one to watch in this month of october on youtube mm -hmm. for free Ooh. Or, or at the theater with live orchestra yeah, like <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um what did you pick sinclair okay i watched a movie called atlantics it's from mm. 2019 so making history yes. quite recently yeah. Um, it's directed by Maddie Diop. This was her first feature film. This was her feature film debut. Here's a quick synopsis. In a popular suburb of Dakar, workers on the construction site of a futuristic tower without pay for months decide to leave the country by the ocean for a better future. Among mm. them is Solomon, the lover of Ada, who is promised to another. So the reason I picked this film for this theme is because Atlantics was selected to compete for the Palme d'Or mm -hmm. at Cannes in 2019. And Maddie Diop made history as the first black woman to direct a film featured in competition at Cannes. Oh, so cool. Mm. Not just first black woman to be nominated for the Palme d'Or, the first black female director to just have a film there in wow. competition. Wow. In 2019. <laughs> in 2019. This is something that, that Cannes is criticized for. I guess in 2017, there wasn't a single film by a black director, let alone a female black director, just a black right. director. Wow. Just period in, in the entire festival. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But I remember that. I remember this film. Mm -hmm. I remember the conversation at that mm -hmm. time. Yeah. And she ended up winning the Grand Prix Award at mm. Cannes, which is the second most prestigious award at the festival after the Palme d'Or. So she's a French Senegalese filmmaker. And this film takes place in Dakar, which is the capital of Senegal, which is in West Africa. And 
basically it focuses on a young woman named Ada who loves a man named Solomon, but she's betrothed to this man named Omar, this wealthy man named Omar. Solomon is a construction worker who him and a bunch of other workers aren't being paid for their work. And they decide that they have to leave Dakar and head to Spain by sea just in search of a better life to actually mm-hmm. have a better life and just be paid for their their work. Yeah. And there's a lot of themes in this about migration and a mass exodus of a country just for survival. Mm-hmm. And having to le- leave by sea has been very dangerous for a lot of people because a lot of people perish on the journey mm-hmm. and you just never hear from the, them again. Yeah. So what's interesting about Atlantic is, is that instead of following the journey of these men, it actually decides to stay back and focus on the women that they left mm. behind. Mm. And so it immediately shifts to Ada and the effects that these men leaving have on the women that decide to stay. So she's betrothed to Omar and on their wedding day, Omar's bed catches fire and they think it's like some act of arson. There's a detective that's hired and Ada becomes the suspect of this arson and she has to go through all this um, interrogation and questioning. She has to go through a virginity test. Once again, Mm. another movie I watch about virginity tests Mm. that just completely angers me. And yeah, there's a lot of themes about the treatment of women and the control of women. And what is really cool about this film is that, and about like the the third part of this film, these women actually become possessed by the spirits of these men who died at sea. What? And it becomes this almost like ghost story. Whoa. So these women actually start having these really like glowing white eyes when they're possessed by these spirits and there's these really hypnotic shots and this actually comes from a folklore of jinns which we've discussed yeah already this season so there are these jinns that can possess people and seek revenge on the people that have done them wrong and it's so did suleiman die he on died. the journey? Yeah. They all they oh. all perished and they're coming back and they're like communicating through these these women. And it's based huh. off of a subset of jinn that's specific to Senegal culture called Faru Rab, uh, or lover spirits, which can take possession of women's bodies at night. But it's also a lot of commentary on men actually controlling women's bodies. There's mm-hmm. a, there's a lot of that. At night, especially. At night. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And it's very much a mood piece. It's very hypnotic, very naturalistic. You can, you know, hear the sounds of the waves. The Atlantic Ocean is very prominent in this. And, yeah, it's also, like, very scary because the ocean, it seems like new possibilities, but it also civilizes danger and death and mm-hmm. a, a very and, and vastness. Um, but this is shot by Claire Mathen, who did Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Mm. So it's like gorgeous to look at. Oh and my God, beautiful. Yeah. Lots of themes explored. I just thought it was wild that it was like 2019 and a black female director yeah. hadn't, 
had a film in competition at a, such a huge festival like Cannes. So yeah, think wow. about all of the films that are submitted to that festival that mm. are, actually go into competition across all the various categories and stuff. That is actually mind blowing. Yeah. yeah. Um, was what was your final thought on on it, Diana? Did you enjoy it? I enjoyed it. I think it was slow in parts and can be a little too naturalistic at times, mm. but the mood of it and the themes in it make it really worthwhile for sure. Mm. Cool. Interesting director too. Well, this has been another episode of Talk Movie to Me. If you would like to get in touch with us, our email is talkmovietome at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at talkmovietome. Tweet at us at TMTM Podcast. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. If you are not already a Patreon member, head on over to patreon.com slash talkmovietome and you can become a monthly member for only $4 a month and we would love you for the rest of our lives. I'm Helen. <laughs> I'm <just> support. <laughs> Thanks for your support, bro. Bro. <laughs>